Will the metaverse be worth $427 billion in five years? It's Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. This is the Kelly Letter Podcast, and I'm Jason Kelly. Markets and Markets Research released a report saying that it expects the metaverse market to achieve a compound annual growth rate of 47% for the next five years, taking its market size from $62 billion now to $427 billion in 2027. That's on a par with the global smartphone market, which is about $484 billion in 2022, according to Fortune Business Insights. And McKinsey reported in June that the metaverse could reach a $5 trillion value by 2030 and called the opportunity too big for companies to ignore. Metaverse growth potential is critical to tech investors because the metaverse is supposed to be a driver of near-term innovation. I spoke last week about The Economist magazine's doubts about big tech's prospects. The metaverse is one area where big tech might prove them wrong. The metaverse is an umbrella term for all things connected going up a level. Instead of video calls, more immersive augmented reality and virtual reality communication. Avatars might do some of our work for us, such as field customer support requests. Gaming will feature prominently, of course, but so might medical care, education, and home security, for example. According to the report from Markets and Markets, Quote, by vertical, consumer vertical is projected to have the largest market size during the forecasted period. As consumer vertical companies deal with two sub-segments, namely gaming and social media, and live entertainment and others. The technologies in the metaverse can enhance the gaming experience of players by creating virtual objects and characters, which are mapped to defined locations in the real world. Players can easily access information, interact with digital objects in the real world, and hence the demand for metaverse solutions in this industry is the highest, end quote. So this is sort of a layer of augmented reality on on the real world where you might be looking through glasses or a, a VR headset, virtual reality headset, and maybe you're walking around a park, for example, searching for some object, and it will show up in your field of vision uh, sitting on a park bench. And the, the actual park that you're walking through and the actual park bench that's right there, you could touch the park bench, and sitting there virtually and showing up in the, the lens of your headset or your glasses, whatever the devices you're using, would be that, that, that virtual object. And you could grab it with your real hand and in the digital world that you're playing in, then you would obtain it in that world. That's just a, a basic example and one that many people are familiar with because it's shown up in movies and various games they've already played looking for little Pikachu monsters and stuff like that. So that's what Markets and Markets is talking about here, but it seems to think that that there's a a lot of potential beyond that, and it's not the only firm that does. Uh, Markets and Markets happens to believe that a key driver to the, the growth of the metaverse will be the affordability of metaverse devices for customers. These include, of course, XR headsets, XR stands for extended reality, and that XR is another umbrella term bringing together augmented reality, or AR, virtual reality, VR, and mixed reality, MR. The distinction there, augmented reality is what I was just talking about, where you might be looking through glasses at the real world and superimposed on it would be some kind of digital or virtual 
item. Um, maybe, maybe a heads-up display in a car you might have driven is similar to that. You're looking out the windshield at the actual world, but, but you see the speedometer and other, other information show up um, projected onto that. So similar to that would be augmented reality. Virtual reality is where the entire scene that you're looking at and immersed in is, is created. The whole thing is virtual. It looks real, but it's, it's not real. So you're not walking through an actual park. You're walking through a virtual park filled with virtual objects and so on. And then mixed reality would be both of those, I suppose. Maybe you're walking through the actual park and then you go through a digital portal you know, that's projected into a tree trunk in the park and now you're in a totally virtual world inside that tree trunk. And then you come back out into the actual park. That would be an example of, of mixed reality. And the XR headsets, that's extended reality headsets that can do all of this, would be able to help you through all these different layers of, of real reality and not real reality. And here's another take on it from a company called Lucid Reality Labs, explaining the three in, in more official terms. Quote from Lucid Reality Labs, Augmented reality is used to enhance real-world objects in real-time with digital capabilities. Virtual reality is an artificially created interactive virtual simulation that can be developed to recreate real-world objects, processes, interactions, and environments. Last but not least is the mixed reality that makes it possible to interact and control the digital overlays of real-world objects and environments in real-time. All three technologies are possible through head-worn and face-worn AR, VR, and MR hardware devices that include both glasses and headsets, end quote. Now, at this point in the discussion, quite a few people start to get skeptical because the virtual reality headsets look pretty bizarre. It looks like, you know, Nerdville to the max. These people with these giant goggles on, you, you can't even see through to their eyes. Not like not like, uh, you know, transparent or even translucent ski goggles where you can kind of see them on the other side of the, 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 the glass. No, it's more like this, this giant, completely dark set of goggles on their faces, and they're, they're in this other world. And it's just hard to imagine, uh, hard to imagine liking an entire crowd of people in your town walking around with these, these VR goggle headsets on. So it's tempting to, to blow the whole thing off by saying, oh, it's another Google Glass moment. Remember those? There's a little bit of a blast from the past. The Google Glass were smart glasses that Google debuted in 2013, and they disappeared about 10 minutes later. It was just so fast. And it's easy to scoff because they did look pretty silly. And I had a friend who had a pair of them, and he was wearing them around town. And at that time, people already had earbuds in and um, those, those kind of attachments to smartphones where it would be permanently in the ear. You still see people walking around with those and then talking as they go through the grocery store. But this just seemed to take that up a whole new level. And people had these weird-looking glasses on, and then they were talking, and they weren't talking to you. It was very strange. And it didn't last. Nobody liked it. Gone. Poof. So because of the Google Glass experience in 2013 and the Google Glass bust, I mean, they're just gone, it's easy to scoff. But, but the tech has improved greatly over the years, uh, very greatly. And, and, and I think probably... These devices are not going to be something you have to walk around town wearing. It might be that when you're doing customer service or gaming or getting health care or communicating with friends, you're in the privacy of your own home or office or car, I guess, if it didn't interfere with driving. And then and, and you would put that, that very um, 
obvious sort of disturbing looking giant piece of headgear on in that setting. And it wouldn't matter because you're, you're in your own home or, or car or office. So even if it is an odd looking thing, a helmet like device or that, that giant goggle type device, it could still be very useful if you could just put that on and get healthcare without going to the hospital or put it on and communicate in a much more meaningful way with, with customers or a customer service department, for example. So even if it is kind of clunky and goofy looking in, in this, these first stages, it, it doesn't mean it's useless. And of course, the technology is developing very quickly. And on that note, let us look more closely at today's leading devices. To get a bead on today's leading VR headsets, I turned to ZD Labs. The magazine introduced its June 26th report thusly, quote, always on the doorstep of adoption, never quite there. That pretty much describes the consumer virtual reality landscape over the last half decade. But increasing competition in new headsets from a variety of legacy and first-time players, which may soon include Apple, plus a full brand makeover for a certain social media giant, makes VR worth considering, end quote. Of course, that certain social media giant was formerly known as Facebook, and it rebranded itself as Meta, because that's how focused it is on the metaverse. And it's, it's looking at its legacy social media businesses, namely Facebook, but, but others too, as a, a base on which to build this. Because when somebody logs into their social media account, they're, they're wanting to communicate with others. And if they can tie that into a virtual uh, reality headset, then, then the, the engagement could be that much more real. Uh, think dating websites where you could have a you know meet meet in the virtual world and have have a have a drink at a virtual bar and get to know somebody without ever having to pile into the car and actually go down and sit near the the exit at a Starbucks to meet them for the first time. So ZD Labs thinks that the metaverse is finally entering its consumer judgment day and not a moment too soon. Enough anticipation already. Let's go with this. And ZDNet selected the following four VR headsets as today's leader. leaders. The first one is Quest 2 by Oculus. And this is a meta company, so one of, one of Facebook's divisions. The review of that says, quote, With 50% more pixels than the original Quest 1, everything from multiplayer games and productivity apps to 360-degree videos look better than ever. Excellent hand tracking via very comfortable controls. The Quest 2 is also easy to set up and use, which is a must with an early generation consumer technology. Games are the Quest's specialty. Meta has a great app store, and with 50% more pixels than the previous version, the Quest 2 renders phenomenal virtual worlds for exquisite gameplay. End quote. The cons it lists are that it only has two to three hours of battery life, and it does require a Facebook sign-in. So, of course, this is Meta, so it's going to have that to keep all of its businesses humming. The price for a Quest 2 by Oculus is $400. Next is the Vive Cosmos Elite by HTC. Quote, 2880 by 1700 combined pixel resolution. And for comparison, Quest 2 has 1832 by 1920 pixels per eye. All of these are very high resolution, but this one is even higher than normal. If you want full room playability with best-in-class room tracking, the Vive Cosmos is worth a look. You'll get best-in-class tracking, a complaint with the entry-level version, and a VR unit that's primed to make the most of PC-based gaming. We also notice the sound quality of this unit is a step above the competition, which helps create a truly immersive playing experience. End quote. 
Among the cons are that it is a wired device, so you're not going to have full freedom of movement, and it's pretty expensive at $750. Next is the PlayStation VR by Sony. Quote, PS4 and PS5 currently reign supreme in the console-based gaming world. This is debatable, but that's what ZDNet says. And if you have either unit and think a VR spin on gaming could be cool, this one is for you. Note, however, that Sony, the Sony PSVR 2 is rumored to be on its way for early 2023, end quote. And, and by the way, we can say that about quite a few of these. Um, Quest 2, for example, Mark Zuckerberg has said there won't be a Quest 3 because they're doing an entirely new platform that's going to be way, way better. And that's good news. All of these are improving quite rapidly. But this is the state of the art right now. A few cons of the PlayStation VR. It is a few years old, and that new version is on the way. And apparently the tracking on this, this current version is a little bit clunky sometimes. It's affordable, though. Price, 400 bucks. Next, the Vision 8K Plus by Pimax, or Pimax, P-I-M-A-X. Quote, dual 3840 by 2160 RGB pixel matrix panels render a high-resolution image that is upscaled to 4K. It's precisely those two 4K screens plus VR that runs at 90 hertz and 110 hertz in an experimental mode that make this unit so darned immersive. It is the vanguard of tethered VR PC experiences, end quote. Yes, it's at the top of the heap, and the con is that its price is also at the top of the heap. It is very expensive, $800 for just the headset, and then up to $2,000 when you include knuckle controllers, a tracking kit, and a base station. In ZDNet's opinion, the overall best for most application is the Quest 2, but each of the four is best for certain use cases. PC gamers with money to spare, for example, would be happiest with that uh, Pimax Vision 8K+. So it just depends what you're going to do. They're, they're all great, apparently, but the Quest 2 seems to be the overall way to go if you're not quite sure how you're going to use the different devices. And ZDNet concludes its roundup by saying, quote, it's still very much the Wild West for a technology class that's been puffed up by years of hype, but is still searching for a knockout case for adoption. The use cases remain niche. Gamers, designers, enterprise applications like training. One thing we've noticed is that the technology hasn't advanced as much in the past few years as it might have, so don't shy away from older tech, which is cheaper and represents a great value in what's still the first blush of our mixed reality future. End quote. I would say this is key. It is a nascent technology, which is good news for investors looking for more tech sector growth. I mean, this is what The Economist was talking about, that oh, everything's just kind of gone marginal now. It's just more pixels, more, more megabytes, uh, gigabytes, etc. You know, add a new feature, put a new lens on the phone, that kind of incremental marginal improvement. So we don't have a big, you know, knocked out of the park, great, cool new device yet. Well, here's one area where we might be getting one. Imagine when Amazon, Apple, Google, and Microsoft enter the race for market leadership in the metaverse. Innovation heaven, right? It's not going to be just meta. It's going to be all these others too. So we can all have a closet filled with creepy-looking VR headsets. <laughs> I don't think that's the goal here, of course, but just uh, if, if everybody gets into this race and we can finally ramp things up, it could, it could really provide that, that next big thing that everybody's been waiting for for quite a few years and that The Economist complained about last month. But what are the opportunities for business? Let's look at that next. 
I'll get to the metaverse business opportunities in a moment. Before that, I'd like to tell you a little about the Kelly Letter. It's my only sponsor for this podcast. That might change, but for now, this podcast comes to you courtesy entirely of the Kelly Letter. That's my main business, of course. I am the Kelly of the Kelly Letter. And I'd like to take just a moment of your time here in the, the, the free podcast to tell you what makes the Kelly Letter different. It represents decades of my life work, research, and my writing of the neatest little guide books that re- became bestsellers on the Business Week list. And the, the things I learned, the mistakes I made, the recoveries I went through, um, the people I interviewed, all the work I did for my books and for my own portfolio culminated in the letter being what it is today. It's different from other investing services. I, I could go through and tell you how well we performed, and we have, and you can see that chart yourself at jasonkelly.com, but are there any investing services that say we suck? No, of course. Everybody says we're great. They tell you about the winners. They show you a chart that looks good. And and I'm aware of that. So I'm aware that you probably bring a certain amount of skepticism to any kind of investing service. So instead of telling you about how well we've done, even though we have, I'd like to stand out from the pack and try to earn your subscription dollars by telling you what makes my letter different from other investing services. Number one, above all else, is that its portfolio is driven entirely by quarterly price reaction. This matters a lot. Most services are gut guessing. They try to sell you on the intelligence of the the editor, the the intelligence of the people that built the system and so on. It's a black box. You can't know why. And they show you cases where whatever their approach is has worked well in the past. Mine is entirely transparent, and it's simply price reaction. When prices are down on a quarterly basis, my portfolio buys with a formula that tells you how much to buy, and it's based on how far that price has dropped, if it's a buy signal. So if it goes down a little bit, you buy a little. If it goes down a lot, you buy a lot. If it goes down dramatically, you buy a dramatic amount. It's that simple. It's easy to understand, which, which means you don't have to feel you're being tricked or hoodwinked somehow. And that quarterly pace is also very important because um, it's important to get away from, from memes of the day, headlines of the day, emotions of the day. By locking into a quarterly schedule, you give the market time to move around and you you avoid moving all your money in at one time or somehow getting caught up in in, in something of the moment that is not going to last. That quarterly price reaction has been just golden for the portfolio of my letter. Among other benefits, it removes stress from indecision. I mean, how many times have you looked at financial media and one guy says the market's going up, another one says it's going down, another one says, gee, you know what, it might just go sideways. Basically, every single day, you could find every single opinion on where the market will go next. This is not useful to you. What is useful is that you stick with a schedule and on that quarterly basis, you just run a formula and that formula tells you what to do based on what prices actually did. No gut guessing, no trying to prognosticate what the thousand inputs are going to mean to the market in the next week. My letter offers you one read per week, each Sunday morning, covering the little tiny bit that's relevant from that week's worth of news without hyperbole and distraction. You can save on many other subscriptions because I read them for you and curate out what matters, then present it in a crisp, informative read. You don't have to take action every week. In fact, remember, you take action only quarterly. And I walk you through that action. And there is a calculator that will make it even easier for you. You can generate your own specific custom signals based on your portfolio. You just put in 
how many shares of the fund stock fund you own, how many shares of the bond fund, what their current prices are, and it tells you exactly what to do on that quarterly basis. And there's even an easier part of the calculator called the allocator that enables you to simply match the letters allocations. That's it. So if, for example, the letters six SIG portfolio is going to be 82% in stocks after the signal on Monday morning, you would just put in 82% for yours and the allocator will tell you what orders to place in order to make that happen. And to help you get through the, the, the information of the letter each Sunday in your busy life, there's a section called The Chase, which gives quick one or two sentence summaries of the key points of that week's letter so you can see what it's going to say, and then you can dive into the actual details of it below. And that comes every Sunday morning. It really is a complete long-term financial management system and comes at an affordable price. It gives you a week's worth of information in a concise format that you can peruse to keep up with the little bit that matters. And it, it, removes, it removes stress from indecision. I'd love to have you join us and put this powerful system to work for yourself. And you could, you could start on a monthly basis if you're not ready to commit for a year. A lot of people do that and they, they like it. And then they upgrade to the annual and save some money that way. Whatever you'd like to do, I'd be happy to welcome you. Please join when you can at jasonkelly.com. Thank you for listening to the benefits of a subscription to The Kelly Letter, and I hope to see you there. Now to opportunities for business in the metaverse. On Monday, Information Week dove into this area and came away with this overarching observation. Quote, the main value that organizations have begun to tap into is the ability to engage with consumers differently than on other online channels, end quote. One expert quoted in the report is Haley Sikora, who is the Experience Strategy Director for Valtech. You may not have heard of Valtech. I hadn't. I looked into it. Valtech is a digital agency focused on business transformation along the lines we should expect to see in the metaverse. From its About page, quote, you probably already know us better than you think. If you shop at L'Oreal, MAC Cosmetics, or Levi's, fly with Aerolineus Argentinus, EasyJet, or Lufthansa, or if you drive a Volkswagen, Toyota, Audi, or BMW, then you've already experienced our work firsthand, end quote. So the company's experienced strategy director, Haley Sikora, told Information Week that while the metaverse is still coming into focus, quote, it is widely believed to be where much of our interaction will take place in the next wave of the internet. From a brand awareness lens, the metaverse represents an opportunity to reach broader audiences and make deeper connections with them than other channels do, end quote. That makes sense. And from a revenue lens, it should give brands the ability to incorporate enhanced product visualizations, consultations, and tools that have been proven to lead to more conversions. I think this one's pretty easy to grasp. If you've ever been shopping for real estate, think of those 3D tours of homes for sale. Um, and those are great, I think. If, you, if you're thinking of a house in a certain town, you're not in that town at the moment, you can take this 3D virtual tour. They've come a long way. It's, it's like when you, when you click to go from the, the kitchen to the living room, it moves in such a way that it feels like you're actually walking there. It doesn't just blink over to the living room. You may have experienced this yourself. So even right now, pre-metaverse, they've gotten pretty good at these things, 3D, 3D home tours. 
Um, another one I've seen in the, the current iteration of the internet is the ability to upload a photo of a room in your own home and then see it in various paint colors you might be considering. That's fairly low tech, but pretty cool actually. I, I did that with, with my home and it was it made it a cinch to just sit everybody down and say, look at this. You know, you click the different colors and you can see what your very room would look like in, in other paint colors. If, if it's that helpful now, just imagine how much better it would be in a more immersive virtual reality type of experience. Another one I've seen is a, f a photo of your own body where you can, you can upload your, yourself standing in front of a mirror with your arms and legs out a little bit. And then the, the software can, can add different clothing to you so you can see what you would look like with different outfits you might be considering at a, a clothing store online. These are just a few examples of how the metaverse should make these types of current virtual experiences much better and extend them considerably. Um, what if, for example, in, instead of just clicking to, to zap from one room to the next in these 3D tours, you could put on your VR headset and just walk through a home you're considering. You could hear what it would sound like when you open the window. Maybe if they're honest, you'd be able to check road noise, for example, or if they're dishonest, it would, it would smell like baking pies and you would hear birds out the open window, that kind of thing. But, but the point is you could be much more immersed in it without actually going to that home. This would allow you to shop for homes across the country, across the world, and, and so on. Uh, virtual tours, wow. I mean, if Google Street View is as good as it is now, imagine putting on the Google VR headset and being able to stroll the streets of Barcelona from the comfort of your own home. I think that's where they're going in the short term and maybe to even more immersive experiences in the long term. Car driving, of course, is another example. I've read that all of the major car companies are working on uh, more ways to do virtual test drives on the website. And presumably that, that's going to be helped by the research that's happening in the metaverse. And Haley Sakura, the, the, the experienced strategy director at Valtech, she also discussed digital product lines such as NFTs, um, and she said that people might be able to tap into D2A, which is, stands for direct-to-avatar revenue models. This is getting into the weeds a little bit. Um, in case you're new to this, an NFT is a non-fungible token. And that's a record on a blockchain. Blockchain is, is the, the, the platform that powers cryptocurrency. In this case, though, the blockchain technology is connected to a digital or physical asset. And these can be bought, sold, and traded. According to Wikipedia, quote, NFTs typically contain references to digital files, such as photos, videos, and audio. Because NFTs are uniquely identifiable assets, they differ from cryptocurrencies, which are fungible, end quote. Remember, NFT stands for non-fungible token. Well, what is fungible? Anything fungible is a commodity that's interchangeable. For example, you don't care which specific dollars are in your bank account. Any dollar is the same as any other dollar. Money is one of the best examples of something that is fungible. I give you a dollar, you give a dollar to your brother, your brother puts it in the bank and that's fine. And it's the same as he, he put any other dollar in the bank. Ditto gasoline in your vehicle, eggs in your omelet, maybe the digital copy of a book on your e-reader. Any will do. Well, NFTs are specifically non-fungible. They are not substitutable, interchangeable. So they are unique, and that adds an element of value to them that makes them perfect for trading. Because of that blockchain technology, you can be assured that when you buy an NFT, whether say a photo, if you buy that digital photo and it's, it's stamped and it's, it's registered on the blockchain, you know I have the photo, not a copy of it, not the thousandth copy of it. I have the 
original, clearly identified and verified in the blockchain photo. That's an example of an NFT. And this, this matters to the metaverse because if people are doing commerce in the metaverse, then they want to know that they're getting something of value and not just somebody spewing out copies of the same thing and you're, you're paying through the nose for something that somebody else got cheaper somewhere else. If it's a unique item, you need to be assured that it's unique. And NFTs will enable operators in the metaverse to do so. Um, for example... A game maker might sell one specific weapon, if it's a fighting type game, or an item of clothing, maybe, for a character. And that, that item is unique in all of that game's world, and possibly among rights-sharing other game worlds. What if your, your character from game A strolls into game B and is wearing, oh, let's say, a, a type of chainmail jacket that was purchased for real money in, in the world of game A, and you that character strolls into the world of game B, and it still retains its unique aspects. There's, there's no other uh, chainmail coat that looks like that one. Or helmet or sword or just dress to a ball if it's a non-fighting game. Whatever it is, you, you get the point, that it's, it's unique and it stays unique because there's a guarantee that it's unique, and you would, you would be paying for that. So anybody sharing that, that unique item that you bought in the digital world uh, would, would be able to guarantee you that you are paying for something that only you will own. And like real estate in the physical world, such an NFT could appreciate over time as one user sold it to another, who sold it to another, and so on. Um, how about restaurant reservations? Let's get away from games for a second. What if somebody made an NFT that was the right to a marquee table at a peak time on a peak day of the week. And what if that could be rented or sold? The restaurant could profit off it whether the owner of the right exercised it or not. Now, this is getting to be a stretch. It'd be a whole different way of thinking about, about restaurants. But I, at least, when, I, when I'm making a reservation for a special occasion in a restaurant, I care very much about where I am in the restaurant. I hate it when I'm looking at a wall or the other people with me are looking at a wall and only one side of the table gets a nice view of the restaurant, for example. Depends on the restaurant. But if, if it's a view restaurant, for example, you don't want a table without that view. So if you're like me and you have favorite restaurants you go back to repeatedly, you probably know specifically which tables you want. And if you're also like me, you might get tired of having to explain every time, I want table 12. Oh, we'll get you the best table we can. I know, I know you will, but I don't want the best table you can. I do specifically want table 12. Well, let's take that concept and attach it to an NFT. What if I could say to that restaurant, I will pay you for the right to have table 12 on a Friday night at 7 p.m. whenever I want. And I will pay you rent on that right uh, every, every week because Friday comes once a week. And whether I come or not, you get my payment for that table. So it might be sitting there empty with a reserved tent on it and maybe a reservation tent on it. And maybe I'll call you and tell you uh, Friday afternoon, restaurant manager or owner, that I won't be able to make it that night. You still get to keep my rental fee and you can then sell out the table to somebody else who gets to use it even though I paid for the right to use it. I have no idea if anybody will go this way, but you can see how you could get pretty creative with NFTs and other other anything, I guess. I think we're going to go all kinds of directions with this. And that uh, Sikora, Miss, Miss Sikora again, I'll give her whole name again so I don't keep saying Sikora. She sounds like a, sounds like a robot when I refer to her that way. <laughs> Fitting for this conversation, right? I am referring to Haley Sikora, the Experience Strategy Director at Valtech. She said 
that um, she told InfoWeek, quote, think of the metaverse as a new marketing channel, just like social media was once the hot new marketing channel for organizations. While not every department needs to be thinking about the metaverse strategy day in and day out, organizations should be getting teams together to collaborate on how the metaverse will play a part in the overall omni-channel journey for the customer, end quote. That seems sensible to me. I would assume the job opportunities will be boundless. Businesses wanting in on the metaverse will need product managers to find ways to integrate existing products into the new world, develop new ones, and market them because uh, an, a digital product would probably be best marketed in the digital realm. So that might be a whole new job category. And this could be a good example of how innovation creates jobs, doesn't always just destroy them. So it might be true that the, the person with a headset on answering customer service calls and repeating boilerplate text, and I don't want to poke too much fun at them, but I think we've all had some pretty bad customer service experiences with call centers. It might be true that some of those people are going to lose those jobs, but other people might gain jobs as they try to move products into the metaverse, market in the metaverse, and so on. A different person who was quoted in that InfoWeek article is Jordan Edelson, who's the CEO of TradeZing, and that's a group that describes itself as, quote, a group of talented content creators, expert marketers, venture entrepreneurs, and advanced developers that share a vision to help navigate the future of income for the next generation, end quote. Um, and he, he told InfoWeek that the current state of the metaverse reminds him of when the initial web was created, when businesses weren't familiar with the technology and were slow to adopt it. I think that's a good point because it, it is tempting to look at this and say, ha ha, what a joke, weird, weird memes of Mark Zuckerberg looking like a cartoon character in Paris. That's all the metaverse is. Giggle, giggle, it's another example of Google Glass. Yeah, yes, it, it has gone through those growing pains, and it's still going through growing pains, but so did the main Internet. And would anybody look back to 1995 and say, ha-ha, what a joke, all those early attempts were for nothing? I don't think so. I remember, for instance, when Amazon needed to assure everybody that it was safe to use a credit card when engaging in what was known as e-commerce. I remember when it was put in quotes, this is so-called e-commerce where you can shop online from the comfort of your home while wearing your pajamas, et cetera, et cetera. I remember those days when, when people had to be told, you use your credit card online, but this is safe for various reasons. And now that seems all quaint and, and, and uh, <laughs> part of ancient history, and it is. But maybe right now we're at that, that you know, quote-unquote e-commerce phase of the internet, but for the metaverse, that they are still going through those growing pains. It's not great yet, but they're, they're working toward it, and eventually it should get pretty good. And about our current metaverse, Edelson said, quote, Eventually, once we pass the trial and error phase and the infrastructure is fully developed, we will see this sector grow and more companies will embrace the metaverse, end quote. Yeah, I, I find it hard to disagree with that. I'm, I'm sure that's the case. You can be certain that Facebook, now known as Meta, is very serious about the metaverse. And yes, maybe Mark Zuckerberg is taking funny screen captures of himself in the early iterations of it. But they're not joking around over there. I mean, the future of the company depends on this. And if they succeed, then the metaverse is presumably succeeding and I think they're certainly going to give other even bigger companies a run for their money. So Facebook getting out there, Meta getting out there ahead of things, showing Apple and Google and Amazon and, and the others, Microsoft, 
that that hey the uh, the the early the early real estate grab is underway here. You guys better get cracking. And I think if all these brains get going at all these companies to try to make this thing happen, we could see some amazing innovation, and it could all come at once. This could be an example of hearing about it forever, and you think it's never going to happen, then it does all at the same time. Like that old that old proverb: the fruit ripens slowly, but falls suddenly. We may be on the cusp of that. I, I, I can't know, but I do think there's, there's a, a lot of reason to expect the metaverse is going to grow briskly in the next mm, five to eight years, I suppose, just taking those projections that I, I gave at the top of the show from McKinsey and Markets and Markets. It, it looks like it's going to grow. We can't know exactly how much, but it's going to grow a lot. I think that'll be good for tech. It'll be good for tech investors, and it could be good for the entire economy as an, an entire new parallel market opens up for products ranging from customer service to gaming to car purchases to real estate. It's an exciting time, I think, and it's very early. So keep your eye on this space and keep your eye on the investing opportunity that this represents. We tap it with the NASDAQ 100. That's what I recommend you do as well, but there are other ways to do so. Bottom line, the metaverse looks legit. Let's watch it grow. Thank you for listening. This is the Kelly Letter Podcast, and I'm Jason Kelly. Please subscribe to the podcast from any of the easy links at jasonkelly.com. Those go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other places. Also at jasonkelly.com, you'll find links to everything mentioned in this episode. This week, I've got that, that Metaverse market worth $427 billion report from Markets and Markets. The Lucid Reality Labs report among XR headsets to look forward to in 2022. And then one of the, the best pieces, the ZDNet report from, from June, the four best VR headsets for gaming, the metaverse, and beyond. And finally, the Information Week report from just Monday, Understanding Metaverse's Potential Business Opportunities. All those are linked for you in the show notes at jasonkelly.com slash podcast. And I'd love it if you could leave a review wherever you review podcasts. I'm still getting started with this and would, would, love it to, would love it if I could reach a bigger audience. So if you know anybody who might like this, please share it with them and leave a public review for others to find this. The only thing I'd love more than that, as you know, is to welcome you to the Kelly Letter. That subscription link is right at jasonkelly.com, right near that performance chart, which I would love you to look at because I'm proud of it. Even after this year's downturn, we're still doing very well over the long term, and we should start doing much better as the recovery continues. I send new letters every Sunday morning. If you do nothing else, please join my free email list at the top right corner of jasonkelly.com. There's an empty field right there just waiting for your email address. That's it. Enter, click sign up, and you'll be on your way. Current subscribers, thank you for doing business with me. I'll see you Sunday.